and welcome to another edition of Lit These Days, presented by the Mark Literary Review. I'm Jessica. And I'm Adam. And we're your hosts. And this week, so we're going to go and talk about what we're currently reading, what we finished reading, and then we have some discussion questions, and we're going to answer uh, some book recommendation questions at the end. Well, just one. But Adam, what did you finish reading this week? I finished reading two books, which I didn't think I was going to end up finishing, and one of them I finished this morning. Uh, And that was my audiobook, uh, Broken in the Best Possible Way by Jenny Lawson, and Olive Kitteridge by Elizabeth Strout. And I talked about both of these last week very, very briefly. Um, I was kind of saving it for today. So um, for Broken, I really, really loved for a while. And then it just ended up being, okay, let's just get through this, get through this audiobook. And and I think part of it is she she's a blogger. And I don't know how much of this came from her blog, but I, I really do hate the, hey, I have a blog. Let's just take the blog and turn it into a, a book. I've read several books like that before. And, and it and it, mm-hmm. it it always ends up being very disjointed to me. Have you ever read any like blog to blog to book books? I don't think so, but I definitely understand what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, Freakonomics, the guys that wrote Freakonomics, um, I think their third book, they did that. Uh, and it was, you know, I love Freakonomics and Super Freakonomics. And then that one came out and I was like, this is uh, just all over the place <laughs> and, and, and very mm-hmm. much filler. So it very, it very much came across as that. Um, and, and it's broken up into like, it's broken up into funny chapters, funny and poignant chapters and poignant chapters. And the funny chapters don't always hit the mark. The poignant definitely does not always hit the mark. And then by the end, it just seems like she's she's stretching it. But there's still some hits uh, towards the end. So one of the final chapters of the book is this story about how she, she almost caught the house on fire because they have a central vacuum, uh, which I wasn't aware of what central vacuums were. Do you know what those are? No, what is that? You essentially have a vacuum cleaner that's built into your house. So no, that doesn't exist. I, apparently it's a really old thing. Like it's not, mm. and, and you'll find out why in a second here, but you, you can essentially go into a room and pull out a vacuum hose from the wall and, and it's like central air. All the dirt will get sucked into this central location, which they never cleaned out. Um, so, Uh-oh. so at one point they had cleaned and it smelled like the house was on fire. So they went out to the garage, which is where the, the bucket is. The bucket's like set up into the ceiling. And they pulled the bucket and like a year plus worth of just house dirt comes pouring out oh and it's on fire. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So they get covered with this just like flaming, flaming mess of, of you know, carpet fibers and dust. Um, and they're, and they're able to put it out. Um, her husband grabs the, the shop vac that's sitting off to the side. And she's like, no, don't, don't, don't pull that. There's shit in that. And he's like, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> she's like, well, you know, the other day I, I dropped some things down the sink. So I, I put the shop vac down into the sink to suck them out. But the suction was so much that it also pulled like from the sewer. <laughs> oh was, my gosh. That's disgusting. Yeah. And, and then she goes off on, she, she constantly rants through the book. Um, and, and some of the rants are really funny. Some of them are just like, okay, you're, you're stretching it here. And this one was funny because her thinking was, well, I couldn't just put it out at the curb because then somebody would think, oh, hey, I can fix that up. And they would take it home and it's filled with sewage and that would be awful. And I didn't have, you know, I didn't have a garbage can that was big enough to fit it into. And her husband just kind of shakes his head and and walks away. So the entire chapter is a really funny description of almost setting the house on fire, um, trying, trying to put it out, eventually getting it put out. And then there's, there's other instances. Oh, she gets a new, new shop vac and it gets clogged when she tries to clean up the, the garage. So, so they unclog it and it like blasts all of the stuff that they were trying to clean up back all over the, all over the garage. So stuff like well, that. Now was, we know. Now we know why um, there are no more central air uh, things in in houses. Exactly. Exactly. Because <laughs> at first I was like, "Oh, that sounds great." Oh, never, never mind. That that should go by the wayside for sure. Yeah. So that worked, um, and that was followed up by. It was a chapter that was just like, hey, here's inappropriate inventions that we could pitch to Shark Tank. And it's like, okay, you're just, this is filler. This is very much filler material. It's not, it's not very funny. Uh, it might have been funny if there weren't so much other 
filler material in there. Like some of the chapters are like, here's Twitter suggestions for this question that, that I put out there. And I was like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want to read other people's, you know, Twitter responses or Twitter blogs. Do you think like if it was just a shorter book in general, it would have been better? I, I think so. And I've read, I've read two of her three books. I did not read the second one because I only have, I have a digital copy of it, but her voice is perfect for the audio version. So mm-hmm. I, I, I held off on reading it, but her first book is fantastic. Like I, I highly recommend her first book. It, it hits all the marks. So I think part of it is just maybe you're running out of material here. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you, you know, you've gotten through all of the best stories because there are wild stories in that first one and they all fit, they all work. Um, when I taught forensics, I, I, I pulled some of them for forensics pieces. So how, I, how long is that book? This was, I don't know page-wise, uh, but it was a six-hour, six, six to seven-hour audiobook. It's hard to tell because okay, I so. always speed it up. Okay. Maybe it's not that long then, and that's why there was so much fil- or filler in it. It could they, be. They had to have it be, you know, at some page right there's there's absolutely nothing to add here and it's funny too if you go on to goodreads she reviewed it herself she's the top review (laughs) (laughs) and it's five stars and she and and her comment is i don't know if i'm allowed to do this i'm gonna give it one star for every year it took me to finish it (laughs) like every year it took me to procrastinate so it was a long time coming it's been a while since she's had a book out um, but it, it, it definitely dragged the poignant stuff that works. She early in the book, she has an open letter to her insurance company. Um, she, she is, I think I talked about before she has a wide range of, uh, disorders and diseases and she takes different medications for it. And she is v- extremely clinically depressed. Um, and those are the best chapters where she kind of goes through, like, especially to the insurance company, it's a lot of like, you keep denying these claims that, uh, this is medication that keeps me alive. There's definitely a content warning for this book because she talks about suicide a lot. And the open letter is very much like you, my doctor has told you like hundreds of times, like I, I, I will die if I don't get this medication. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one was, was very fitting. Just the struggle to get like, to get medication consistently because there would be random times where the insurance company would say like, oh, you don't need this anymore. <laughs> like how, how do you know? Nothing's, nothing's changed here. Uh, and she has chapters where she goes through like these experimental medicines that again, cost a lot of money and they have a lot of side effects on their own. And I think that's where she really was best was the ones that are truly funny and specific, not just, you know, kind of random made up jokes. And the ones where she's poignant, but she's poignant and specific. Mm-hmm. And is this, this is a contemporary book, right? Like when did this come out? 2021. So it's a new book. Okay. So it tells you how she's American, right? Yes. Yeah. Tells you how messed up the American healthcare system is that you can't get the medication that you need to survive. Right. Right. Very much so. Very much so. And that, that was one that truly like, the emotion is very strong. Like it pulls on your heartstrings. Uh, it's almost hard to read. Like I, like I took a break after that chapter and, and the subsequent chapter. But after that, you know, she still tries to fit in those poignant chapters and they just come across as like affirmations, like very much like if you're in this situation, you can do this. Um, and for me, like that will work for some people. So I don't want to knock that. That will absolutely work for some people. Uh, but for me, especially struggling with, my own depression. I need specifics. I need stories. Like I I need somebody to say like, here's all the horrible stuff that I have gone through. That's kind of like, okay, like other people are, are going through this. Um, so, so I need, I need an actual story to go along with that. I I think Allie Brosh, she wrote hyperbole and a half. Um, she had, she had a two parter in her book on, on depression and she, she uses like crude illustrations in there, which are really funny. Um, but I can remember like there's a scene where she's on the floor and, and she sees like she like she can't get off the floor and she sees like an old dried up like corn kernel underneath the refrigerator. And she talks about like looking at this and like somehow this snapped me out of it, at least temporarily. And, and those are the kinds of things that I can can sympathize with. Um, 
but just the standard like yeah you can do if i can do it you can do it like believe in yourself it it doesn't work for me i'm sure it works for other people It, it definitely did not work for me yeah that makes sense and you said that you had a second book that you read right yes olive kitteridge was the second book and this is absolutely one of the best books that i've ever read um i will read reread this at some point um so two two really i I wouldn't say the other one wasn't wasn't was bad um but i'm thinking back to last week where like all of our everything we talked about seemed to be like "Ah, i hated this Um, i was just about to think i was just about to say that that like I'm so glad that we have books that we're enjoying yeah. this week <laughs> as opposed to last week where everything was horrible. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, and I will say like the, the motifs in this one. Uh, and again, there's there's some content warnings there, but like accidental death, suicide, growing old, complacency, regret, you know, all the happy things uh, are in this book. Um, so it, it very much was a week where I didn't know if I was going to finish Um all of Kitteridge in particular had a chapter where I put it down and was like, whoo, okay, it's early. All I wanted to do was uh, read tonight, but um, I can't like, I, I just need to let that one settle. And um, mm-hmm. it, it just, it just didn't happen. So, but eventually I, I did get through it and it's, it's so worth it. It's a Pulitzer prize winner from 2008. Um, if you look at the, the reviews for it, they're one star and five star. They're either like, this is the most brilliant thing I've ever read, or this is boring. Why do people like this? It's just about random mm-hmm. people. And I think you have to know what you're getting into with it um, because it, it follows it follows people in this small main town. And Olive is kind of like the glue. There's one chapter she's not even in. There's several chapters where she's she's briefly in it and you see her do something and then she's just kind of she's just kind of off. Um, and she's a multifaceted quote-unquote main character because most of the chapters are about her and she's initially presented like really unfavorably the first chapter is about her husband uh and and when she comes in like he he's presented as like the nicest guy like just very Mm -hmm. almost naive and, and he gets frustrated he has a rare moment of frustration where like nobody goes to church with him one day and he's like is it too much to ask like that my wife can go to church with me and she just goes off and it's like, yes, it's too much to goddamn ask. <laughs> like, <laughs> so that's like your initial impression of Olive with that first story. So you're kind of like, what? Okay, why is this book even, even about her? Um, she's presented like that for a while. And then there is one story where it, she's not the main character in it. She shows up um, and she responds to some, someone she sees as suffering and she immediately starts crying, like this massive, just emotional breakdown, which helps the person. Um, so it's like an instant melting of like, okay, there's more going on with this character than, than at first meets the eye. When it gets intense, it gets really intense. Um, a lot of the reviews are like, you know, this is just about random people's lives. And that's true. Um, but but death is is treated very very well in the story, very realistic, as is the life experience. Um, the stories don't have pretty bows on them. So like even if a major character dies, it doesn't occur like a normal story would. There's no big climax, like here's here's the death and then here's the fallout of it. There's one character who dies uh, in between chapters. And in the following chapter, you get kind of an offhanded like one statement that this had happened. And you're like, what? what? <laughs> Where did that come from? But it, it's very much reflective of like, this is kind of how life goes. Like there's no, there's no arc here. Like things just happen and, and things are not wrapped up the way that you would want them to be. And the characters experience that. Um, Olive in particular, by the end of the story, she's 74 years old. And it's a lot of like, okay, this is like the people that I've lost. This was their life. Like there's, there's nothing they can do about it. There's so much they wanted to do. And this is me. Like, can I, can I change myself? Cause I know that I am this frustrating person who has these emotional highs and lows that I don't necessarily understand. And seeing her presented through other people's eyes throughout the book also makes you realize that she's, she's unaware of a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. So highly, highly recommend it. The writing itself is beautiful um so a lot of people say like there's nothing going on here the chapters where there's nothing going on are just as valid as the rest of the book because it's written so so well it's it's a it's a gorgeous narrative where 
a, a character can be fully characterized in a paragraph or two. So definitely read it. It's a heavy read this week, though. Um, I didn't think I would make it through the books, but I did. And here we are. So I don't have anything that I'm currently reading because I wrapped I wrapped them up and was like, okay, take a deep breath. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like you've, you've kind of sold me on all of Kitteridge. Like, I want to read it, but I'm also like, I don't particularly enjoy books that are, like, character-driven. Mm -hmm. I like books that are driven by plot. I don't know. Maybe I'll give it a try, perhaps. I, I would definitely recommend it. it. I can see, and you can see this with the reviews, if you didn't know the structure of it, it, it could be very difficult to get through. Um, and, and it does require a little bit of patience because there's a lot of payoff for it. These random observations where you're like, yeah, okay, that seems like that seems like extra characterization. Uh, it, it seems kind of like Dickensian where it's like, okay, that's too much. I got it. I get the point. They come back and they serve a purpose by the end of the book. So every random mm -hmm. thing that you see a character going through, by the end of the book, you realize like, oh, okay, that's that's why she included that in there. So from a writing standpoint, if anything, if you got bored by it, you could very much switch to like, okay, well, I'm going to analyze the writing here because um, mm -hmm. I could see this having an influence on my own writing for sure. Okay. Okay. Well, you've sold me on it. Yes. I'm going to have to pick it up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Job um, well but done. I'll talk about, <laughs> I'll talk about what I finished reading and also what I am currently reading because you finish those books and you don't have anything that you're currently reading. Mm -hmm. Um, but what I finished reading is, like, this week I focused a lot on reading the submissions that I got for the Mark Literary Review, which is the magazine that I started in 2018. So I got a ton of um, short story submissions and poetry submissions. So I was trying to work my way through that. We just had our meeting to pick which ones are going into the June edition yesterday. And... So by the time this podcast comes out, the June edition will be out and I'll link it in the show notes if you want to check it out. And I think that it's a really great edition. Honestly, I have a bunch of readers now, like for the longest time, the Mark Literary Review was just my baby. It was just something that I was doing <laughs> on my own. Um, but now I recruited a bunch of readers and they help me read and rate submissions and we read them all blind and uh, so we have, uh, the meeting once a month. Well, now we're going to buy monthly editions after this, uh, this June edition comes out, but we talk about them and it's a really fun time and I really like it. And one of my favorite pieces that came out of this edition, I think I'm just going to read it really quick. It's sure. called Night History by Chris Blexrud. It's really short. So it's a poem and it goes, the sky does not hold this night. The trees do. Those old oaks that overhang the road, their twisted limbs thrust into the air, entangling the darkness, as once before the cosmos of your auburn hair did to me. And that's it. And I loved it so much. It was short, very wow. sweet. Yeah. And I really liked the line, those old oaks that overhang the road, like that O sound really got me. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's beautiful. Um, so yeah, definitely check out the Dune edition. Again, it's linked in the show notes. And I hope you enjoy it. And that's kind of what I finished reading. I didn't read any um, novels or, or anything like that this week just because things were kind of busy. But uh, last night or yesterday, my boyfriend dragged me to Barnes & Noble again. I can't believe him. You know, <laughs> How dare he take you to a bookstore? He's terrible. He's, <laughs> he's the worst. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, but so I went to Barnes and Noble and I had every intention of trying to find a graphic novel to read because I want to read a graphic novel. Mm -hmm. But in Barnes and Noble, like all there is basically is manga. And I don't think that's my scene. Not that, not that there's anything wrong with manga. I just don't think that that's what I want to read. But they did have like a very small section of graphic novels and I was looking through them and I just didn't find anything that spoke to me. So I went to the romance section instead because I love romance. And I picked up a book by Emily Henry uh, and it's called People We Meet on Vacation. And Emily Henry or wrote a book that I talked about last week on the podcast called Beach Read. And I really liked that one. And so I was like, well, obviously I have to pick up this book. It was the only copy that was left. 
So I picked it up. And basically, this is a story about Alex and Poppy, who met in college. And they were best friends, but something happens to blow it all up. And I don't know exactly what happened to blow it all up yet, because I'm only on page 70. Uh, But it switches between the past and the present, like when they were in college and now present day. And now Poppy is a successful writer, a travel writer for a very popular magazine. So we get glimpses of her like seemingly perfect friendship in the past. And then in the present, it's like um, she's kind of uh, in in this job and in, in kind of trying to rekindle her friendship with Alex. And that's all I know really so far. But up until this point, I really like it. In the very beginning, there's a lot of talk about like Poppy has this job that she's always wanted and it's like her dream job she lives in New York City she gets to travel for work she goes all over the world and she has enough money to afford whatever she she wants and but she she talks about in the beginning of the book that she's just not happy and there's a lot of kind of talk about what actually makes you happy and, and kind of like there's like the philosophy behind it. So I thought for a romance, it's it's a deep book for a romance. And I liked that aspect of it. It's just not not just uh, very fluffy. So yeah. I like it so far. That's great. That's great. And, and we've talked about before. That's the what got me into, I'm not a regular reader of romance, but like a room with a view was something where I was like, okay, there's philosophy and a love mm-hmm. story here. Um, which I, I don't think I could have tackled something like, like Pride and Prejudice with, without that. So that sounds fantastic. What was the name, what was the title of that one? People We Meet on Vacation by Emily Henry. I'm going to write that one down as well. Oh, I'm sorry you didn't find a good graphic novel. I will, uh, I'll have to sell you on something at some point here. <laughs> I was looking for Street Angel. Let me tell you, yeah. I find it. <laughs> that one's probably a little bit harder. I, I got that at the comic book store, so. Mm-hmm. There's only like there were shelves and shelves and shelves of manga, mm-hmm. and then there was like this one little section of graphic novels. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, didn't didn't really find anything that I like. There was one that was huge, and it was like a thousand pages, and I was like, oh my gosh! I picked it up. It was so heavy, and by this point, I had like ten books in my hands yeah. <laughs> that I wanted to get, and I was like, ah! So I like put all my stuff down, and then I like just kind of like sat down in front of the in front of the uh the shelf which is probably kind of weird but you know we do what we got we're book people they understand (laughs) yeah okay so we had a discussion a question that we wanted to talk about this week and it's books we should have read a long time ago and when i thought about this like there were books that I was assigned in, in school that I never actually read. Mm-hmm. And I'm very ashamed to, to say that <laughs> as someone who graduated with a bachelor's degree in English. But in high school, I think I was taking so many AP classes that I burned myself out. And I just was not in the mood to, to do hours and hours of reading for high school. And so I read like the spark notes for some books that I was assigned. Like I had to read Catcher in the Rye and the Great Gatsby, but I only read the Spark Notes versions of those, mm-hmm. and I could tell not tell you anything about them at all. So, um, yeah, those are the books that I probably should have read. But what what about you? Do you have any books that you should have read that you haven't? Well, first of all, I want to say you're not missing much with Gatsby, which might get might get me yelled at. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I also have not read Catcher in the Rye, and I feel like it's I'm, I'm past the point in my life where that book will be valid at all. Like I, I feel like mm-hmm. I, I know I'm going to read it and be like, ah, this kid's just whiny, but it's not. I feel like that's a book you have to read at a at a certain age. Mm-hmm. I in in college, I took I had a semester where I took all blow off classes which was a terrible idea because I was bored out of my mind. I never had any homework. <laughs> so like when it was a study night for everyone, I was like, oh, I have nothing to do. So the following semester, I took all novel courses, which was equally a bad idea because then all of a sudden I had way too much to read. And in college, I was, I was still reading a lot for pleasure. So I have all these 400 level novel courses and then trying to fit in my own books. And it just, it didn't work. So there were a lot of books that I just had to wholesale cut out of, of what I was reading. 
So what I did was, if there were Spark Notes for it, I would read the Spark Notes. But since they were higher, higher level courses, like I, I, there would be books where there's no Spark Notes, so I would read those. Um, so I ended up mm-hmm. reading like the Golden Notebook as opposed to Uncle Tom's Cabin. Because um, I was like, it's, it's way too long. <laughs> like, I really definitely don't have time. So that's one. Um, but then also just overall, like, I feel like when I was a kid in high school, like, I, I, I fell into, like, punk rock really early. So I was just kind of like, ah, I don't want to read the things people tell me to read. So I never read, like, <laughs> 1984. Um, and I don't feel the need to read that now. I've heard some from okay, people who okay. read it. Pause. Yeah. 1984. You have to read it because it's an amazing book. It's one of my favorites. But I also love dystopian fiction. Yeah. So like maybe that's just me. I like I like Orwell. I read Animal Farm um, when I was younger, and I and I at least liked that at the time. I may have been a little bit too young for it. Uh, and I've read his, some of his essays, and I love his essays. I've heard with 1984 with people who read it. I've heard from two people who read it as an adult, uh, and one loved it. And the other said, this very much seems like if you read it in high school, you would think it's brilliant. And I thought it was thought it was terrible. So we'll see. It's definitely still on my list of like, I should at some point sit down (laughs) and read this, Um, especially with like, I I like dystopian. So I feel like I should at Mm -hmm. least read like the, you know, the pinnacle of, of dystopian fiction. That's well, now sp- you have two people who read it as adults and liked it. So it's two against one. It's winning now out. Now you have to read it's it. It's winning out. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll put it to the top of the list. That said, too, I haven't read Brave New World, which I feel like I oh, should read. Oh, my gosh. That is my second favorite book. Yeah. Listen, you have to read it. It's amazing. <laughs> but I did read – okay, so um, Aldous Huxley wrote Brave New World. Mm-hmm. And then – so I – before my current boyfriend, I was dating a, a – a guy who was a seventh and eighth grade English teacher and his favorite book was Island by Aldous Huxley. Mm. And I don't know if you've ever heard of that book before. I know it exists, but I have no idea what it's about. So it's basically like, um, it's kind of the same thing as brave new world where it's like this world is set up as a utopia, but it's not actually a utopia. You know, it's a, it's a dystopian utopia and I read maybe like the first two chapters and I got really bored and I didn't finish it. But Brave New World, second favorite book, Behind the Kite Runner. Love oh, that yeah, that's another one I haven't read. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're killing me today, I know, Adam. I know. <laughs> you can see why I, I liked this uh, point of conversation. <laughs> another one that I have not, I have not read in full, I should say. Um, and my wife has been begging me to read it, so I will read it uh, this summer because there's a new there's a new translation for it. But the Odyssey, I've never sat down and read the Odyssey in full, mm. um, and I feel like that's one that I I probably should. Dickens, um, I read a Christmas Carol. I almost said story. That's a movie, um, but like in terms like Great Expectations, never read. I read one one city out of A Tale of Two Cities, so I, mm-hmm. I never actually finished that one. Uh, no Hemingway. Uh, embarrassingly, no, no Toni Morrison, no Wuthering Heights. So I, I definitely have gaps in things that I didn't read, but should have read. And, and I think a lot of it was like, I just like, I didn't have time in college because I screwed myself over with taking all those courses at one time. And then in high school, like I, I jumped from Goosebumps to Stephen King and then found a copy of train spotting which was like just short stories about drug addiction really really like intense things and as a as a 14 year old i was like yes more of this less of everything else (laughs) so i just i i have these gaps now that i that i need to address at some point but um Mm -hmm. i've read the boring ones and and i've loved the boring like walden i could read walden any day of the week and and i know for most people it's probably like watching watching paint dry but Mm -hmm. i love i love walden so in terms of like the classics, quote unquote, which I know is problematic in and of itself. I've missed a lot. I got, I have a lot of gaps. Um, popular books too. Kite Runner. I've never read, never read Kite Runner. And sometimes I won't read a book because it's so popular, which is dumb. <laughs> like, oh, everybody likes this. I'm never going to read it. <laughs> yeah. And I think like what you mentioned before about the classics being problematic, like there's definitely something there because... Like, I was assigned all of these books in high school that were written by white male characters, or white male authors, and they were about white male characters. And that's just problematic to me because, I mean, I never read a book by someone 
who was of color until I was a senior in high school and I read The Kite Runner. And that's probably why it's one of my favorite books because that that book is the first book I ever read that was by someone of color and about somebody of color. And you're like, I don't I don't understand why. Well, I kind of understand why the literary canon is so white, but I think it's problematic that it is so white because you're missing out on all of these perspectives. And I think that, you know, as readers, I think people who read are the most empathetic people I've ever met because we read from all these different perspectives and we get all these different life experiences from the perspective of these other people. And I think that we need more of that in life because there's so many different people who are ignorant and they out of that ignorance just comes hate and and racism and and things like that. So I think that's definitely an issue that there are not more books by people of color in the literary canon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and from my own experience, um, because this is a topic of of debate um, in, in schools constantly and there's push and there's push back to it. But I think left to your own devices, if you are if you are a reader, um, you will eventually read those diversity, that diversity of opinion, that diversity of books, the diversity of authors and just fall into it naturally. Because I was very much the same way. Like that's that's what I I grew up reading was white male authors. And and a lot of those books are are perfectly valid. Um, But by the time I, I got into college, like when I read Their Eyes Were Watching God, like uh, this, <laughs> I, I must read everything that Zora Neale Hurston wrote. Like this is this is mm-hmm. such a good book on so many levels. And, and it creates an understanding of, of different cultures and different time periods. E.M. Forrester was another one. Like, yeah, white, white male, but somebody who who was gay and couldn't write about that. And that comes across in the in the writing. Um and there is that universality of, of experience uh, that really, really comes across. I think of, this is another white straight, straight and problematic author, but I think you'll see my point in a second here. Um, Charles Bukowski, who very chauvinistic, writes about, writes poetry mostly, wrote poetry, he's been dead since 94, um, but writes about alcoholism and gambling and sex and depression and I, I had a student who had recently come out to her mother, um, and she was writing this in an essay to me. Um, and the response was was devastating because the response was like wasn't like you know I'm disappointed in you. It was just a straight up denial of like no, no you're not. <laughs> like that's just not who you are. And she loved Bukowski. Like she was really on a Bukowski um, jag at the time. Because, like, no, I'm not an alcoholic. No, I'm not. I'm not a gambler. I can understand the feelings of frustration with the world that are in here. Uh, and I think once you start to see that with a diversity of authors, you really start to understand the world. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and that's absolutely essential. But it's not. I feel like it's still not presented that way. Like, we're still fighting over. Uh, we need to take To Kill a Mockingbird out of schools. No, you can't take To Kill a Mockingbird out of schools. Like, we're not having the discussions that we actually need to have. And and for students who, for people that, you know, are not well-traveled, you can be well-read and start to understand people and the world a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think that the publishing industry is doing a better job now at highlighting uh people of color and LGBTQ Mm. authors, but I still think that there's a ways to go. I definitely, I've seen more, more books in, in mainstream media, like on, and being highlighted on places like YouTube and, and TikTok by, by people who, um, have platforms Mm. and, and talk about the books that they like and kind of recommend, um, things to other people. And I've seen, more more books by people of color being highlighted on those channels so i think that there is hope and that mm-hmm. it's getting better uh, but i still think that there's a ways to go i think it's so important too because to, to use say police brutality 
as an example. If you don't read or you don't read diverse books, diverse opinions, or you just, you know, you watch the news, it it falls into very much like a, a, a black and white is not the term I want to use, but a, a binary thought. You're either for this or you're against this. There's no middle ground. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. But if you if you read something like like Hanif of Durakeep, who we've talked about before, once you see that experience through somebody else's eyes in long form, that makes an impact. That's what changes mm-hmm. people's perspectives if they're if they're willing to go that route. But just you know, just seeing these pre pre made talking points on the internet or on TV. You're not you're not pushing anything here. You're not talking to each other. Mm-hmm. It's the same, you know. It's why we're as divided as we are. I did want to if I if I could if I could add this too, because um, you you mentioned like the the publishing industry has a has a long way to go. Like we we talked about classics, things like Gatsby, things like To Kill a Mockingbird, they're classics for a reason, but not necessarily the reason you think. <laughs> like Gatsby mm-hmm. didn't Fitzgerald died, and Gatsby was not well renowned um it was one of his least popular books reviews were positive to middling um but it was distributed to to servicemen in world war ii to kill a mockingbird was popular when it came out but it it then quickly became a mass market paperback that was placed in schools so why Mm -hmm. is that a cornerstone of high school middle and high school literature it's because the publishing industry wants it to be Mm -hmm. yeah i definitely think that's an issue too like what I was talking when when I was talking about From Blood and Ash last week, like that book is so popular right now, and it even won like some Goodreads prizes. But I I wonder why it's so popular because I don't think there's anything special about it. Like it's not doing anything special that I haven't seen in a fantasy book before. And arguably, it's not as good as other fantasy books that I've read. So I wonder if it's just like if things are popular or or if they like tend to catch on, then more and more people are like, oh, yeah, this is the best book. And because they think that they have to like it because other people like it. So I think I wonder if that happens with classics as well. They're only classics because um, people think that they have to like it and have to read it. Exactly. Exactly. I think there's I think there's a lot with that which creates its own problems you know to kill a mockingbird is very problematic i feel like it's very problematic um Mm -hmm. and and that you know that changes perspectives and 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 that also goes into you know malcolm x talked about this a lot you know you do you feel good after reading this well you haven't really changed anything have you you just feel good about yourself like (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of like the atticus finch is just a white savior right character and we don't necessarily need that (laughs) exactly and especially like you know yes they are classics and but i feel like and maybe you can speak to this as a teacher but i feel like the curriculum never changes like if i was to go back to my ninth grade high school class they'd be teaching the same books as they did when i read it but i guess uh, for you as a teacher like how often do, does the curriculum actually change, if at all? Depends on where you are. It depends on your mm. county. Uh, the current county where where I am, um, there's there's a big push to get away from the canon, quote unquote, the canon. Um, and we have you know diverse libraries which have been purchased for us. We ha- we have very much a a push for diverse authors and promoting that in the classroom. Now, there's plenty of people in the district who will go to school board meetings. And scream at us that we're indoctrinating the children. So that like that that pushback is there, but I think the changes are I think those changes are being made. Um, well, that's good. Yeah. What kind of books are are being added to the curriculum? Well, well so I'm getting back into English, <laughs> so I will know okay, this okay. soon. Yeah, because because I've been working off of a preset curriculum of books, which uh, which had their own problems to it. Like we we found with our books that you know you read one, they're very short every time they meet with students, uh, we found that there were some, some 
downright racist portrayals of people and, and we removed those books like we did a huge study as a district of like let's read all of these books multiple times and pull the ones that are problematic um so those problems still still exist i mean you can picture it like it, who wrote this was a committee of of, of white men and you know it's it, mm-hmm. it, it comes across not in mass but um so i feel like i don't have a solid perspective on those things right now but i am i am about to there's also a big push for independent reading so rather than like the whole class novel so from that standpoint um people like jason reynolds who i'm going to talk about today with our our book recommendation um those are being promoted uh nick stone is being is being promoted there's 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 all kinds of diverse authors and diverse books that are being recommended and book talked and small grouped rather than we're all going to read this one book Mm -hmm. i like that that's good well i like that there's some change coming um so kind of moving on we we have a uh book recommendation question that came in and this person asked for books for people who don't like reading and for this one i picked lies my teacher told me everything your American history textbook Mm. got wrong Mm -hmm. in this book. I haven't read it, but it does have a 3.93 out of five star rating on Goodreads. So I'm pretty certain that it's a good book. And I actually read the synopsis of it really quick. Um, Americans have lost touch with their history. And in lies, my teacher told me professor James Lowen, Lowen question mark shows why. After surveying 18 leading high school American history texts, he has concluded that not one does a decent job of making history interesting or memorable. Marred by an embarrassing combination of blind patriotism, mindless optimism, sheer misinformation, and outright lies, these books omit almost all the ambiguity, passion, conflict, and drama from our past. In this revised edition, packed with updated material, Lowen explores how historical myths continue to be perpetuated in today's climate and adds an eye-opening chapter on the lies surrounding 9-11 and the Iraq War. From the truth about Columbus's historic voyages to an honest evaluation of our national leaders, Lowen revives our history, restoring the vitality and relevance it truly possesses. So I I picked this one and, and I know that it's kind of popular i think i've had a a few people around me that have read it and they have liked it and i i picked this one because it is on my to read list i just don't know when i'll get to it Mm -hmm. and i thought this would be a really good book for someone who doesn't like reading because i feel like there's a lot of fodder for discussion throughout it and i think that the most fun you have when reading is when you're able to discuss it with other people And also it's just kind of like an interesting subject matter of like subverting things that you've been told your whole life in, in school. So that's my pick for that. Yeah. I like, I've, we have a copy of that book. I believe there's, there's multiple editions of it. You said it's been updated Mm -hmm. and there's, I think two, two versions of it out there. Um, I have not read it. I believe my wife has read it and I've read excerpts from it. Um, That's, that, that's a great recommendation because it is, it's like, once you realize like, oh, was I manipulated? I have to read that. If you don't like to read, mm-hmm. maybe you'll you'll get more perspective with that. Cool. Very cool. Uh, I went the route of if I have students who hate to read and I have students who hate to read, believe me, <laughs> what would I recommend to them? Um, and the, the two that I'll, I'll focus on today briefly, A Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds. And Jason, this one is, is written in verse. There is a very popular push with young adults and middle level uh, books to put them in verse because there's, you know, a kid can feel very accomplished reading something very quickly. Um, Can you explain what that means just for if people don't know what that means? Yes. Yeah. So it's a book of poetry, but the poems all tell one story um, Mm -hmm. from beginning to middle to end. I generally dislike them because they... They very much come across as like, hey, kids who don't like to read, want to read this? Um, and, and it's almost patronizing, and I think the kids pick up on that at a certain point. Um, Kwame Alexander, his first couple books were in verse, um, and his first one, Crossover, was great. But the second one, Booked, was very much like, oh, the main character, this smart kid who doesn't want people to know he's smart, and he has to read this dictionary of these really like esoteric words, like esoteric 
And <laughs> <laughs> so he reads them and that's in the poems. And it's like, come on, like we know what you're doing here. So Long Way Down was the first book I read in verse where I thought this works perfectly, perfectly. Like I can't imagine this being written in any other form. In fact, his publisher told him because he was writing it in chapter form and prose this needs to be in in poetry form and it, and it works really well it is told in 60 seconds the entire book takes place in 60 seconds okay it is a kid whose brother has just been murdered he's been shot and he grabs his brother's gun uh he's like at the top floor of an apartment complex finds his brother's gun in his um like sock drawer gets on the elevator and then the rest of the story is him making the decision to either because he knows who did this or at least he thinks he knows who did this take revenge and murder this kid that you don't see that what you see is the journey from the top of the elevator to the bottom and his decision making process and he mm -hmm. stops every couple floors the first person who gets on is somebody he knows somebody who, whose brother he knows and he realizes talking to him that this person is no longer alive and everybody that he meets on the way down is somebody who has been you know, caught in the crossfire of gun violence, um, you know, was was perpetuating gun violence and, and, and thus was killed because of it. So it's heavy. Being that it's in verse makes it a lot lighter um, and, and digestible for for students. I mean, it's a book you could read in an hour if you like to read. And, and it's just, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal read. That's very, you know, we talked about diverse books earlier. This one, this is one that provides you with a huge diversity of just perspective and diving into violence from an intellectual standpoint rather than just like, hey, kids, look, guns. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, because mm -hmm. plenty of books can fall into that. So that would be my number one recommendation. Um, for high school students, and I guess Long Way Down would, would also be a high school recommendation, um, ninth to 12th grade. There's this book called My Friend, bear with me on this one. It's called My Friend Dahmer. Uh, it's by a guy named Durf Backdurf, not his real name. And it's a graphic novel. Okay. And what it is, is this guy grew up in Akron, Ohio. It's nonfiction. And he went to high school with Jeffrey Dahmer. So the story is not, there's nothing in the story about like following Jeffrey Dahmer and his, and his, and his murders. It's him watching this kid in high school and all of the warning signs and all of these warning signs being generally ignored by all of the adults around him. Mm -hmm. And then it ends with like his first murder occurs by the end of the book. You don't see anything. You're just aware of like he's pulled over at one point and leaves and there's a body in the in the back of the car. And then the mm -hmm. book ends and then the supplemental section in the back just explains like, hey, like without being graphic, here's what happened to this guy after that. Mm -hmm. um, and I have found that students generally don't know who he is. And as soon as you say like, hey, this guy went to school with this guy, this guy was a serial killer. Uh, okay, let me let me read this. And, and I've never seen a kid who doesn't burn through it. I've purchased multiple copies because they always fall apart. Um, mm -hmm. It's probably not the best made graphic novel, but it's it's <laughs> students love that book because it's a really really good book. It's a really really good book. Mm -hmm. um, so in terms of students, that's that's generally what I what I gravitate towards. What I recommend. Yeah, and so how long was that first book that you that you mentioned? In terms of page length, it's probably 275-ish, somewhere around that range. Okay. That's interesting that it, it's such a long book for only being told in 60 seconds. I like that a lot. Mm -hmm. I, I'm very um, interested in that book as well. I'll have to put that on my TBR list. I hi highly recommend it. Um, two years ago, I handed it to a kid because he was like, "I did. there's no books that I like. I'm never going to read anything. I was like, here, read this. And then he's, he's like a third of the way through the book. It was one of those things where I give a kid a book and they're like, I'm no longer listening to you. I hope you know. I'm just reading this book. <laughs> um, and it always tends to, tends to have that reaction. Both of those books tend to have that reaction. And, and so it doesn't talk down to students. Um, it's complex. It, prevents, it presents characters that are neither good nor bad. They're complicated. It, and with Dahmer, you could easily run into like, hey, be sympathetic towards this guy. Like he has, you know, he has a bad home life. That's all presented mm -hmm. there, but he goes out of his way to say like, hey, like, yeah, 
he had it rough, but I just want you to know, like, look at this situation where like somebody breaks their arm in front of him and he just laughs and doesn't help. Like there's, there's bad things going on. My point is it was obvious this was going on and nobody stepped in (laughs) to prevent Mm -hmm. things from happening. Yeah. Those both sound like really good books. I feel like I have a lot of good graphic novel recommendations from you. I'll just have to order some instead of trying to go hunt for them in the bookstore. I would guess my friend is Dom. My friend Dahmer is in Barnes and Noble. They made a movie out Mm. of it. I don't know if it's any good, but. Oh, really? Do you know when that movie came out? Four or five years ago, maybe. Oh, never heard of it. Overall, anything Durf back Durf, which is a ridiculous name, wrote is good. He just <laughs> he just wrote one on uh, Kent State, um, the history there. He also wrote a book called Trashed, which is about um, uh, garbage men because <laughs> he served as a garbage man for a couple years, um, and it's fictionalized, so because it gets pretty wild. But it also offers an interesting perspective of like, here's what happens to your trash. <laughs> How does it? How does a book about garbage men get wild? I just want to know the, what happens there. The characters, the characters themselves, are nuts. Okay. Um, and just the way that they like, like, there's a social hierarchy within the place that he's working. Like, there's people that will throw garbage on him. It gets really gross. I will say that. Fortunately, it's very, it's not very realistically drawn. It's still gross, mm-hmm. but it's not very realistically drawn. Um, yeah, and and he works. He ends up working with a friend who's just portrayed as just portrayed as nuts and doesn't work with him to start, and then gets the job. And he's like, oh, oh my goodness! Like this is the guy that gets drunk and walks around in his underwear in town. And <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, for anyone listening, if you want us to answer your book recommendation question, you just email me at themarkliteraryreview at gmail.com, or you can also send me a DM on Twitter at literarymark, and we might answer it on the show. Yes, please. Send your questions. That's kind of all I had to talk about. Did you want to talk about anything else before we sign off? I don't think so, other than thanks for listening. Thank you for tuning into this edition of Lit These Days, presented by the Mark Literary Review. This episode was edited by Evander Lang, and the music was provided by David Mock. We'll be back next week with another episode.